Hello and welcome back to the Dad Strength Podcast, episode three today with Coach Jason Pallara, Director of Strength and Conditioning at Purdue University, formerly at Northwestern University, where he was my first boss as a graduate assistant. Today's conversation is great. He brings years of experience as a coach and a father to the table. He also discusses his transition from Northwestern University to Purdue University, which was primarily done for family reasons. I think the best takeaway from this conversation is the importance of outlining your values and thinking about those and writing those down in order to create your personal mission statement. That way, and he discusses this in great detail, but that way you kind of merge your work life with your personal life as opposed to trying to split them in two completely separate buckets. This is a really, really great and very honest conversation with a very experienced coach and a very, very amazing father. I'm also an amazing boss. So I hope you guys enjoy episode three, Coach Jason Pallara. Here we go. All right. Dad Strength Podcast, episode three. I'm here with uh, one of my first bosses, uh, Jason Palera, who's now the director at University of Purdue or Purdue University. Um, he was at Northwestern University where I, when I was a graduate assistant and he was the director there um, and just had a blast working for that staff and a, a really, really good two years. Thanks for being patient with me for those two years as well as I tried to learn how to be a decent coach. Um, so yeah, Jason Palera, director at um, Purdue University. Uh, he is a father of four, um, just had twins about a year ago, twin girls, and then he has a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy. Um, and that is all I want to spoil for the introduction. So Jason, go ahead and, and run with that. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you are in the profession now, how long you've been in it, as well as where you are in your family life right now um, and how long you've been in that. Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on and great to see you and, and always catch up with you. But uh, yeah, so um, my my path and I guess journey so far as a strength and conditioning professional and, uh, and father. So I started at Northwestern in 2001 as an intern and then um, moved into a full-time role in 2002 as an assistant. And then in 2011 was um, fortunate enough to move into the director of Olympic strength and conditioning or Olympic sports performance there uh, when we split the department between football and Olympic sports. Uh, and then from 2011 to 2019, um, yeah, I was at Northwestern as the director, and then had an opportunity to uh, come to Purdue University in August of 2019 uh, in a similar role, director of strength and conditioning. Um, and so the journey to Purdue is obviously, uh, there's some backstory behind that. I'm a Purdue grad, Purdue grad, so um, that was definitely a driving force, but um, you know, I guess coincidentally, you know, with this podcast, a big driving force was family um, and, and the demands, uh, you know, between the job at Northwestern, along with the lifestyle in Chicago, um, compared to the lifestyle in West Lafayette and the family friendliness that that brought for us. So, um, so it definitely is very fitting that, um, you know, kind of having this conversation about being in the profession um, and also, you know, being uh a father of four and, and um, kind of balancing that life because, you know, a big decision of why I made that transition uh, is because of family. Um, and so like, uh, you know, as mentioned, I have a five-year-old boy, Luca, uh, three-year-old boy, Angelo. And then when we um, moved to Indiana, our twins arrived about two months later. So, um, so we got Maisie and Simi, um, being the twin girls. So, um, you know, my current responsibilities at Purdue, uh, oversee the department, but work directly with women's basketball. So that creates some, you know, unique challenges uh, in terms of travel and, and the demands there. Um, but, you know, overall, we're trying to find a balance. And, you know, I think the piece that kind of keeps it all together is my wife, Erin, mm -hmm. um, like I said, a Purdue grad. And so she enjoys the opportunity to be back here, but um, she truly, I guess, thrives as, as a mom. Um, you know, she's, she comes from a, a rather big family. And so that piece has been really natural for her. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say easy, but very natural. Um, so I think, uh, I think anyone that's doing it at this level has someone that's supporting them behind them uh, that does a really good job of it. So 
um, yeah, I think that kind of hopefully encapsulates my my path thus far. But yeah, um, would love to keep going and hear some of these questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first one, um, you know, you you brought it up, the transition from Northwestern to Purdue. Um, you know, obviously a great opportunity at your alma mater, but it was definitely for family reasons as well. And before we kind of dive into the details of that of that move and and why you took that kind of outline what that was like being a director at a Big Ten university uh, with two kids at that time, right? Because your first one was born five years old, so 2015. Yeah. Um, so you were at Northwestern, at, you know, for about four years um, with one and then two kids. So what was that demand like? Because, um, you know, for those just listening in, you know, Northwestern, when I was there, it was split between football and Olympic, but we still all shared the same facility, right? So there was a lot of staff around. There were a lot of teams going through there and it wasn't always the most, uh, or the easiest operation to manage, right? So kind of dive into that of what that role looked like for you uh, to, to manage a department. You also have a lot of administrative roles and you were, on, you were on some committees in the administrative end as well. So um, dive a little more into that, what that looked like as a, as a new dad and all of the other stuff professionally. Yeah, so Northwestern definitely, um, I, I felt like there was a lot more responsibilities. Um, not that there's not a lot at Purdue, but at Northwestern, uh, we had a lot of challenges. Um, and for most of the time I was there, like you said, we, we, we shared a weight room um, between football and Olympic sports and, and just scheduling that becomes really difficult. Yeah. Um, and then there becomes, you know, the whole priorities and, um, you know, you try to play nice in the sandbox, right? And, and it doesn't always work out. And, um, you know, we all know kind of what drives um, D1, you know, power five conference schools. And so football definitely had a precedence and we understood that. Um, but, you know, my role was to fight for the, the other, you know, 19 sports there. So, um, so it was challenging at times. Um, and it made scheduling really difficult and um and that scheduling made it challenging on my family too you know so <laughs> we would have you know you know soccer could easily train at eight o'clock at night um and so that was that was not um i would say that was not my wife's favorite time of year so that was typically during you know january february and to you know really you know possibly go a couple of days without seeing your family or kids for sure yeah. um it was difficult um and uh like i said probably a piece of that is why i'm at purdue is because of that difficulty uh in terms of scheduling um you know we were fortunate in my last year or so year and a half or two at northwestern um we did move into a, a brand new facility and we split and it got it got better but it was still difficult um, and, you know, we still had some of those challenging, um, scheduling problems. Uh, and, and so I think a piece of that too, is just my responsibilities there in terms of teams. So not just administratively, but, you know, our staff was much smaller at Northwestern than I have at Purdue. Mm -hmm. So I was working with three teams where at Purdue, I just have one that I'm working with day to day. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit easier to kind of fall into their schedule, of, you know, if they're off on a Monday, I could typically take most of the day off if, you know, after I check in in the morning and, and kind of maybe cover some meetings or yeah. some responsibilities where, you know, when you're working with three teams, the chances of all of them having the same off day is very rare. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so you can definitely go stretches where, um, you know, you're, you just don't have a full day off. And, and that can be difficult, um, you know, for, for everybody, family and, and my wife, just kind of wanting a break as well. So, um, so yeah, so Northwestern definitely presented some challenges, but, you know, I think there's a lot of um, great things in that area too, like being in Chicago um, was, once again, you know, we, we always kind of found positives, but there's also negatives in that too. You know, being in Chicago, there's so many opportunities, you know, go to parks, zoos, so many things, um, you know, within the hands reach, but also like the, the, the busyness of a place like Chicago um, definitely became difficult too. Yeah. So having, and, 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 you know, kind of go back to the questions, you know, having one or two kids, um, 
you know, certainly having one felt more manageable. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I think everyone could agree to that. And as you add more to the add more to the equation, it just becomes more balanced. And so when we had one, you know, I think my wife felt a little bit more comfortable with it, and um, she can manage a lot of it um, on her on her own. It was easy to get out of the house, um, and and kind of like what we were talking about, you know, even before um, we started here was just you just run out of hands. So like yeah. you have one and and you're good. Two, like you feel like you manage it, and then as you you know go beyond the number of hands you have, it's hard to even just get people out of the house. So, um, so yeah, I, I think at Northwestern, just having just having I guess one or two kids felt a bit more manageable. Yeah. But as we, as we got into the twins and stuff, um, we didn't think we would be able to um, do that uh, very well in Chicago, just with the busyness and, and um, you know, the travel times, uh, you know, the fact that I did have three teams and, you know, less staff at Northwestern. Um, yeah, that was you know, some big pieces to that. Now, you brought this up before, but soccer was practicing or lifting at 8 p.m. on sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I followed like our turf schedule, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the, if you're going in the turf room or in the indoor uh, field house at certain times. So, yeah. Yeah, because that, that was one of the things that we, we shared a weight room, but then in the wintertime, we also shared that indoor space for all field. Like, yeah. I mean, golf, that yeah. was golf's driving range, right? So like every yeah. every sport was trying to use that. And I think this brings up a, a good point, especially for younger coaches, because I found this a lot, is you're going to have those, those times where a sport coach either wants to practice at a certain time or needs to practice at a certain time. And I feel like a lot of times in our profession, we always want to say yes, right? We always want to be a good resource and kind of serve the, the sport program that we're responsible for in a, in a positive way, right? Uh, I feel like, you know, sometimes at like Northwestern, there may have just been no other choice, right? But also when there's other programs or other universities where you're sharing facilities, um, it also may be a preference of the coach to work at a certain time. So with that, I'm sure you've had to have conversations with several coaches, um, to, to not let that happen, right? Whether that be from your own standpoint or whether that be as the director sticking up for your assistants. So one, uh, you know, tell us about some of those conversations you've had to have with the coaches in order to steer the schedule back to something that is manageable for the strength coach or the strength conditioning staff and not just always, you know, serving the only interest of the head coach. I know that could be a controversial topic there, but at the end of the day that, that you know, that, that has to happen at a certain time. So tell us about some of those conversations you had, you know, from your programs or as well as sticking up for other strength coaches on your staff. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's a, it's a great question because it's very evident and um, certainly like you said, as a director sticking up for the staff, I think it was more, was more common because um, there's, you know, I've had, I've definitely had some assistants that had family and, you know, young ones as well. And we were trying to find balance for them. And I, I could speak from both ends of the spectrum where we have, you know, one sport coach that was just totally understanding, like totally accommodating. Say, hey, if you want, if you want your guy here, then you're going to have to work within these parameters. If you want to train with somebody else, then you could choose to go later or earlier, whatever that was. And, um, and then we just kind of put in their core, like what's more important to you um, to have someone that really knows your team and can train them at a high level or pick a time that, you know, you may be more comfortable for you, but you're not going to have, you know, the coach there that really knows your team and, and is part of your program. And, um, and, you know, one of the coaches, was, she was very understanding and just like, yeah, we understand, we get it, you know, we get it. And it's funny, like typically the coaches that have kids themselves probably are a little bit more understanding. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, um, and then like I said, opposite of the spectrum is, you know, coach, this is, this is not an ideal time, um, you know, it's right. It was, this was for my assistant again, and he, and he had to pick up his kids from daycare. And so I was like, he, he can't do this time. Mm -hmm. And if it's the time, only time that works for you, then you'll have 
either an intern or you know someone else with you and if you're okay with that then it's fine and um and that's what he chose for a short short period it was like i will take the intern and kind of quickly realize that you know they just didn't have the same command of the room as um as his normal coach would so um so it's difficult yeah it's really difficult especially as you're you know trying to stick up for like i said your staff and and or your yourself is probably even as you mentioned i found that even harder like yeah. um, i was just so used to just being like okay I, yeah whatever you need yeah. and um my wife is very similar like she's like it's your job you gotta do what you gotta do mm-hmm. and i think um it probably stretched us at times because we were so accommodating um and you don't realize it until like you're all the way in it and you're like i'm exhausted this isn't working i haven't seen <laughs> you know i'm missing three bedtimes a week and yeah. you know, that's, that's not great and you know i think the fortunate thing and i guess what i've always kind of gone back to is um and i say it a lot to to my current staff and and you know even some younger um people that i've worked with is you know you typically don't find balance um daily right but if you could find some yearly balance i think you could end up in a good spot so yeah you know you gotta i know your routine where you know when i was at northwestern i knew the winter was gonna be rough you know just january february running into march um you know we were gonna be i was gonna be there late um and probably gonna miss a lot but um you know come june july i really try to make an emphasis to be home or be not at be not at work as much um so i felt like yearly um we had a good balance but it definitely wasn't a, a weekly or daily balance so yeah for sure i think that's a i think that's a uh classic misconception is, you know, the work-life balance being, okay, well, you know, eight hours at work and then five hours at home. And then, you know, I can, you know, just kind of split it right then and there. I think in this profession, right, it's, it's much more seasonal, right? It depends on when your competitive season is, what your off-season training looks like. And so in order to take that time uh, in the off-season whenever you can, right, you know, don't schedule extra stuff if you don't have to schedule extra stuff, right? Um, I I do think there's there's part of the competitive season, what what I've found and what I've heard from some coaches, though, is that even on those, you know, say 12-hour days and worse, you know, say you miss a bedtime, um, you have to find ways to still kind of take care of yourself, right, kind of do things that that will make you one, an optimal coach, and even more importantly, an optimal father in that case. Um, and so what were some things that lose you, Jason? Oh, hang on real quick. Oh, there we go. Okay. We're back. Okay. Yeah, I got you. It just, just broke up. So I, I stopped talking so you didn't miss me to uh, miss too much of what I said, but pretty much, you know, whenever you did have those really busy days, right. What were some things that you did to be able to take care of yourself, to be able to clear your mind and make sure that you were optimal as both a professional, but even more importantly, as a father on the home front? Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know the importance of that. And yeah. so um, obviously being able to train in the middle of the day was always a, a perk of working in the weight room. Um, but for me, I, I actually like just love to, um, get out and go for a walk uh typically with one of my good buddies you know he was a coach as well and father so um you know especially those you know last five years or so um you know trying to when I wasn't quite as active you know in my younger days I would say I trained a bit more but now it's trains more about being healthy and 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 happy not necessarily pushing um to extreme limits so a good walk was always probably, um, the most refreshing part of my day, especially like I said, with, with one of my good buddies, who's a, a volleyball coach at Northwestern at the time. And, you know, we could just talk about being a dad, being at Northwestern, um, you know, just all things in life and faith. So that was um, something that I definitely miss. I don't really have that at Purdue yet. Yeah. Um, so that was um, really, really good time for me. Um, 
and then, um, yeah, just, you know, I think having just a little bit of time away from your desk, even if it's, mm-hmm. you know, eating lunch outside, if the weather permits, or even away from your desk, you know, I, I think is healthy just to kind of change the scene and, um, you know, just kind of step away from work, even for, you know, half hour in the middle of the day, I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. But I think so often it's just like, no, I'm just going to grab lunch at my desk and, and just keep going. Yeah, um, for sure. And especially on those long days, that was that was definitely worthwhile to just step away for a bit. So, yeah. Now you mentioned the the friend that you would go on walks with, um, and the one thing that I thought at Northwestern was that I think probably because there were several members of the staff that did have kids, was that it was a very kind of family environment on staff, right? Mm-hmm. So, as someone that was there from you know two thousand one to two thousand nineteen, right? When you became the director, how important was that to you to kind of develop a little more of that family-like environment? Um, again, it's it's usually easier when you're all in one facility and you can all be around each other. Um, but you know, how important was that for you as the director to establish that environment? And then how much did that help you whenever you did start to have kids or you had assistants that started to have kids and you were able to provide that family environment amongst the staff? Yeah, and uh, I mean... Uh... It's really important, and I, and I got it from my first boss, Larry Lilja. Like, mm. he was great in terms of, um, you know, he had three kids, and you know, when I was his assistant, they were, you know, grade school into high school, and as I, you know, as he was finishing up kind of into college, um, and he set a really good example for me in terms of, you know, he worked with a Power Five football program, and you know, instead of going to the hotel on a Friday night, he made sure he went to his kids, you know, high school football game. Mm-hmm. Um, so he set those boundaries really well for himself so that he could be there for his kids. Um, and so, you know, modeling that for me, and you know, I thought that was just great and mm-hmm. became something that I want to make sure, um, you know, we could do as a staff. And, and I think, um, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong, but there's definitely, you know, groups that are like, nope, we're going to be the, the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. people. Mm-hmm. And um, that's never been my, I guess, approach is, you know, you come in, do your work. And if you have the opportunity to go see your family or even just go do something that, you know, fills your bucket, then, then go do it. And um, I felt like that creates, one, the willingness for, um that family you know piece where we're willing to help each other it's like hey i need a break i'm gonna step away i got the weight room covered no big deal um because i know there's gonna be a time where i'm gonna need a break and, and you're gonna cover the weight room so um uh so yeah i think establishing those those values and parameters you know early on were really important and um and it, I, hopefully it creates longevity. Like that's been something that's really important for me. Like, um, I just don't think, and there's people that can do it and that, and I give them all the credit in the world. It's just not in my DNA to be that grinder of 6am to 6pm and, um, or whatever it is, you know, five, you know, named hours. And, um, I just don't, from, from me, for me personally, I just don't feel like I thrive in that situation. And so um, as a director, I, I think I was fortunate enough to be able to make some hires with people that had those similar values. So it, it fit well. Um, and, you know, it's, it, 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 once again, it became seasonal and such, but I think finding people that believe in similar things as you is, is really important to create a staff and a, a family atmosphere like that. Yeah, well, 100%. I've never, uh, you know, it seems like it's a badge of honor in our profession, the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you know, and it's, like you said, it's, if that's your thing, awesome. I've never quite understood it. I think that's why I was so happy at Northwestern, even as a GA, when the hours were very demanding, it was, um, it, it wasn't like you're being forced to do that, you know, which, which I thought was, was really awesome. Now you mentioned coach Loja and he was, you know, the, the director there before you, did you have any other mentors, um, or, or people besides your friend that you would go on a walk with that, 
you know, whenever you found out that you were having your first child, you were the director at, uh, you know, the Big Ten school, did you have anyone that you called right away and said, hey, I'm having a kid, how am I going to do this? <laughs> um, gosh, that's a good question. Obviously, like I said, my buddy Keeler, I mean, we'll, we'll name him, uh, you know, he, he had a, a couple of kids at that point. So he was um, obviously very influential. Um, you know, I think within the profession, um, another good buddy who he's at UIC now, uh, we work together at Northwestern as assistants for, you know, six to seven years, uh, Nick Sestatis. Um, he, he was a recent father, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years before me. So he was definitely someone that I reached out to. Um, and just, you know, just to kind of, one obviously share them the excitement with them because they're they're good friends, but also kind of get their take on um, you know being a father and and, and balancing um, or integrating however you want to say it you know the life as a father and as a you know professional and strength conditioning. So um, those are probably the you know the, the three people or two people that I, I relied on most. You know, along with my family. You know, I, I have three older brothers and two of them have kids. Um, so just talking to them about, you know, the, that experience as a dad. Um, and then, um, you know, being family, I think we had similar values. So understanding what becomes important and, and what doesn't. So, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say like, I, I made a, a laundry list of phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could do this. I felt pretty confident, um, sure. certainly in my, in my wife. And I think that, I think that's a big piece for me. Like I was so confident in her being a mother it almost, um, made it easy for me. Right. Like I trusted her so much and I knew she was going to be so good at being a mom that like I almost cheated. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's got this. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm yeah. gonna be a good, you know, I'll be here. Be a good supporting <laughs> role here, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so I think that was really helpful for me. Now, yeah, that uh, that would be that's extremely helpful. And I think uh, an unspoken part of, of this type of stuff is um, the changes that happen in a marriage whenever you start having kids, right? So, you know, we mentioned, you know, how do you, how do you keep your bucket full as, as an individual, right? Making sure that one, you're not getting burnt out, making sure that you're physically, mentally, emotionally taking care of yourself when you, and you now have four, right? How do you keep the marriage bucket full? Um, you know, what, what does that look like? And I'm sure it changes from number one to number two to twins, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I mean, that is a great question. It is challenging. It really is. Um, and I will say, like, we don't always do a great job of it. Like, and, and um, I, I think we um, are able to have those honest conversations when we're struggling, though, and, and that becomes really important. Um, and it definitely, um, Sometimes I think we wait too long, you know, where it's really starting to weigh on us instead of probably planning a little bit better. Like, all right, Saturday's your day, you know, Sunday's my day. Um, and then, you know, pre-COVID, we would hopefully have a babysitter and have a night together or something like that. Um, so it is challenging. Um, I think with one, it was much easier, right? Um, you could just kind of pass them off a little bit easier. Like, Hey, I gotta go do these things. Um, and, and a lot of times you could get so much done during a nap or whatnot, or you, you both had time together. Well, you know, the, the one was napping. Um, and then as you throw in two nap times don't align, you feel a little bit more trapped <laughs> and then you throw in four and nap times really don't align. So you feel like you go and get a house for like 10 minutes a day. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it definitely gets more difficult. Um, you know, I think, um, like I said, we were really fortunate uh, to have, we, we do have good family, we have great family support, grandmas and grandpas and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been a lot more difficult though without having that during during this time. You know, we just wanna be cautious with our, 
with um, you know both sets of grandparents and, and how much we see them and but before um, you know before COVID it would be nothing for you know them to take the kids or come and stay with us and, and you know babysit and so I think um, obviously the key points and there's always going to be times where you do really well or times where you struggle but you know if you you have that communication and really just being honest of like, Hey, we need time or I need time or whatever that may be. Um, and, and, and being really committed to helping each other out with that. Um, so, uh, I do think though, if you can and are able like have a good plan, like we're going to have a date night twice a month or, you know, if you're fortunate enough more often or, um, but it's healthy. It's really healthy to get away from your kids for a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah. um, yep. and we all know that, like, you know, uh, it's like I said, going for a walk, um, for us right now, a lot of it is just after bedtime, you know, just having some time together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if it's watching a show or if it's, uh, you know, just having a conversation, uh, having a beer together, you know, those, those are the moments that, that we know we'll get typically um so just taking advantage of those but uh, right now it's, it's challenging it is um and i think we're, we're looking forward to a date night at some point <laughs> yeah at some point in time absolutely now so i, I kind of want to get into the the transition between northwestern and purdue now um you know i feel like what whenever you know 18 years at northwestern right um what you know you mentioned briefly um kind of the how, how busy you were at northwestern how difficult it was to manage all these schedules well what was the point did you kind of have maybe not a breaking point right but what was the point where you started to think okay you know i'm gonna maybe you weren't even exploring other opportunities but i'm gonna explore this opportunity at purdue university um what what led to that mindset and then once you made that decision what did that look like kind of running forward? And, you know, we just talked about how important, uh, how do you keep the marriage bucket full? I'm sure there were a lot of conversations between you and your wife about, about this transition after being in one place for so long. So what did that kind of look like? Um, if you don't mind diving into the details of that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, to be completely truthful and honest with you and, and probably not many people know, but like, I mean, we were at a point where I, we didn't, know if we could do this anymore this profession um and not necessarily a profession i guess chicago more so like we knew um once we found out we were having twins <laughs> like we're we're our life span in chicago is very limited yeah so was that um, mainly, so, sorry to interrupt was that mainly yeah. with finances with space with the yeah. demands of the job all of the above <laughs> yeah definitely all above certainly finances um you know chicago as as you know it's a bit more expensive to live than most and and i was making decent money at northwestern but definitely not enough to support a family of six yeah. um and so then it becomes that balance of you know everyone not everyone a lot of people have to go through that is it worth you know, is it worth my wife working um, just to pay for daycare mm -hmm. <laughs> or do you just, you know, keep her home and, you know, take care of the kids? And um, so, you know, as we were having that conversation, you know, to put, to have four kids in daycare is, you know, is going to be just astronomical in Chicago. Um, and then, you know, the piece of, like I said, the travel time, you know, when we were in Chicago, it was about 25, 30 minutes to work. And so that's an extra hour a day, but also what, you know, about being at Purdue's, um, being only 10 minutes from work, I could run home for lunch. Um, Luca, our oldest is in preschool, so I could run home, pick him up, drop him off at preschool. Um, and hopefully sometimes, you know, go pick him up. We're in Chicago, that, that, wouldn't been a thing you know that's two hours three hours of travel um so that wasn't going to be a, a great option uh in chicago and then um and then just you know the space thing was you know considered too like we had 
a decent sized house, but really not much of a yard. Um, so we could have fit everybody in our, in our house, but then there's no space to really run. Um, you know, Chicago definitely has a lot of parks and, but once again, when you're trying to line up nap times and all that stuff that I mentioned, you know, to just send, you know, the boys outside while, while you get the, you know, the twins down for a nap, um, is much easier here than it was for us in Chicago. So, um, so yeah, so the, all those things became really important. And like I said, once we found out we had twins, it, it was more so like we knew Chicago wasn't going to work for us. Yeah. Um, and so I was exploring other options, you know, outside of strength and conditioning, um, you know, options that would get us even closer to family. Um, and your, your family is in Indiana? So, um, yeah, so it's similar. My, my wife's family is in Northwest Indiana. We're about at the moment um, about an hour and a half away from her parents and about an hour away from my parents. So it, it's feasible for them to kind of make a day trip or us to make a day trip now. Uh, when we were in Chicago, we weren't much further, but yeah. then you also that travel time, like yeah. it could be could be an hour, but it could be two and a half hours. So <laughs> that consistency you know, that we have now is a little bit better. Um, so yeah, um, so I think the focus was how do we get to places where it's just easier for people to help us and for us to get, you know, to see a family a bit more. So that's where, um, like I said, I was just, we were just pursuing other places to live. And then the opportunity came up at Purdue and I said, well, we should always try it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife was on board and um you know like i said she was excited um you know that the fact that it was purdue and you know it's a school that's really important to us but also her family she has a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles that came to purdue so um that's where it became really interesting for us um and for me you know like to stay in a profession that i really was passionate about and um was was very exciting you know so i don't know whatever whatever my next career would have been i just didn't feel like it was going to be quite as exciting as what i do yeah so um so it was a lot of yeah a lot of discussion and um you know i you know kind of going through um, my own personal values of, of what i wanted in life and um you know i think for us in this profession so much of our um so much of our value or our self-worth is involved with our job right like you know and for me i was looking at that and like can i get that can i get that um elsewhere right can i be one of those people that go to a job nine to five and maybe not love it or hate it but find that that um you know reward or that um value somewhere else you know was it you know getting involved in um you know the community or the church or doing other things with my family and so i was kind of just going through that list of and talking to people a lot about too like that maybe have those maybe normal nine to five jobs of what's it like yeah. you know what's it like um so um it was a really good i guess process for me because um you know, it kind of got me thinking about um, almost like a mission statement for my family, mm -hmm. just like you kind of would have a lot of work. And so it kind of redirected um, my focus at home um, to, to really be in line with that type of mission statement of providing a, a, a atmosphere for growth for my kids and where we could be faith-based and have you know the opportunity to continually see um not only our kids grow but our marriage grow and our family grow so yeah i think that is a and it's a really interesting point about creating that self-mission statement and i feel like that's something that a lot of people don't take the time to do mm -hmm. um, especially when they're going through you know maybe a job transition or, or, or thinking about you know do i have to get out of strength and conditioning and, and look at other professions. And I think one of the most important things I was having a conversation with a, a former intern of mine about making a decision is make that decision based on your values, right? Don't make it 
uh, based on maybe surface level attractiveness of a certain position, right? Because, um, you know, we, all, we in our profession, we can talk about, you know, sometimes it's the logo on the shirt, right? That attracts mm-hmm. people to a job, uh, which is great if that's your primary value, but most of the time there's a lot more to things, right? So um, when, when you sat down to make, to make that value list, uh, and you were saying, okay, I may have to look into, into other professions. Um, what were maybe some of the, you know, two or three of the, of the top values that really kind of, um, helped you develop that mission statement and then also led you to Purdue? Uh, yeah. So the first couple were family, right. And not just, um, our immediate family, the six of us that it was going to be, um, but we are very much based in, in our extended family as well. So especially my wife's side, you know, we see our cousins, aunts, uncles, um, very frequently. So, and it was important for my, for me and my wife to have that experience for our kids too. Like we didn't want our kids in a position where they, they didn't have that, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving where they saw all their cousins and it's like their favorite day of the year because they saw everybody. Um, and to have the opportunity to be in a place where we can see them more frequently is, was really important. So we had that in Chicago a bit and we knew we didn't want to lose that. Um, so that was important. Um, so family and, and that extended piece um, beyond our immediate family was really important. Um, we're, we're very faith-based too. Um, so having um, the ability to be involved in our um, church um, was really important. So where can we do that? And we can do that anywhere, right? We can do that as long as we found a good church and, and we had one in Chicago and we feel like we have a good one in, in Lafayette now. Um, and then, you know, the other things that were important to me were experiences that our kids would have. And something that was really concerning um, was, you know, being in Chicago, our kids were able to see a lot of different things mm-hmm. and different people. And, um, and I thought that that is just tremendous opportunity for kids because I grew up in suburbs and, you know, we didn't have as much diversity there. And so I didn't want to lose that for my kids. Um, and so, you know, it was a, that was an important piece when we were making our decision of where we want to go. And, and so being on a college campus, I, I think it's typically beneficial because it does attract, you know, people from all different backgrounds and races and, um, and ethnicities um, to a college campus. So it was, it was really important or um, not the, you know, obviously the most driving factor, but it's something that we want to make sure that we can provide for our kids um, yeah. for them to understand that there's people out there that aren't, like us and, and it's okay and, and we yeah. should get to know them and so um and then um you know i think going down the list was just opportunities for for our kids once again so opportunities for a good education for to be active if that is in music or sports or um whatever that may be um, that there are opportunities, um, and opportunities for us to, to be a family. So if that's going out for walks or going on vacation together, um, I think became really important. So, um, you know, obviously, like I said, Chicago has a lot of those, but the fact that, um, we probably wouldn't be able to engage in a lot of those because of financial restrictions and time and all of that was a, was a, big driving force to move us out of there. Um, and coming to, you know, a college town like West Lafayette, Lafayette, you know, we felt there was enough um, in our immediate area, but also ability to connect um, to, Chicago, to Chicago. We're only a couple hours from there. Indianapolis is only an hour away. So we felt we had all those opportunities here. Um, and, um, you know, going through all those values kind of led us, led me to, um, to that kind of mission of for my family and and having like i said creating that environment for growth um that is based in faith and family and so um so yeah so it was it was a really good process it really was and i probably wouldn't have had to do it or probably wouldn't have done it if it wasn't as pressing for me 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really awesome. That's really awesome to hear. Cause obviously people go through these transitions, um, a lot and being able to, again, hear from someone about, okay, kind of breaking it down, right. Again, you know, what, what are your values? What, what do you want out of the next step that you may be taking? Right. Is that step going to be in the profession or out of the profession, right? Luckily yours was in the profession. So like you said, you were able to keep that, um, kind of that fire going, right. I think the, you know, the reason we stay in this profession is because we really, really enjoy what we do, right? So it's you know yeah. that, that means a lot. That means a lot to us. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned it uh, briefly about you know as strength coaches, our identity almost always falls with our job, right? Of mm-hmm. us being a coach, right? Or um, kind of of us being um, it, it just in this athletics world, right? It, it's hard to imagine stepping out of that. And seeing yourself as, like you said, maybe a nine to five wearing a little more formal clothes to work, right? So, um, you know, I, but I'm sure whenever you have kids and now you have four, right now, your identity is of a father a lot of times, right? So when did that, um, when you were going through that transition, did you have a little bit of a conflict there between your identity as a coach, uh, the identity as a father, and then this thought process of, wow, um, I may not be a coach anymore, right? If I choose option A or option B. So what, what was that battle of the identity like? Well, I think for me, the fortunate part of, I guess, being a director um, is heading into Purdue, I kind of had an idea of that integration or mission statement that I wanted to have. Um, and it, and it very much reflected my family too, right? So um, I don't know if this is gonna answer your question that well, but I, I, I wanna say like, I wanted to integrate my identities instead of having a coach identity or a dad identity. Like I wanted to integrate that as best as I can. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, if you're broad enough, but still specific, I guess um, you could do it. And and for me, you know, reading, you know, I mean, there's, there's great books out there, but like I'm sure Carol Dweck, Growth Mindset, everyone's kind of touched on that. And I've really just gravitated to that in terms of if we're continuously growing and that growth could be in whatever you do, right? So as a family, if we're growing um, together, and but also separately so if my you know five-year-old wants to be a football player at the moment and he's growing into that direction and my three-year-old wants to be a truck driver like if they're if we still have that growth piece right then that's part of our identity and same thing as a professional as as a coach you know i've never really chased maxes and and numbers but if we're continuing to grow Mm-hmm. you know i would i, would, I was ho- i would hope as a strength conditioning professional growing physically but also emotionally and, and, and spiritually and as a team like we're going to find success so um so i think kind of that that word integrates both my family and my work a lot and that growth piece so it, it becomes a bit easier for me to bounce back and forth and my identity doesn't change too much between a dad and a coach because as a coach I very much feel like um, a dad where I'm trying to get these individuals to grow um, like I said both physically but also emotionally and and um, mentally you know and as a dad I I feel very much as a coach where I'm coaching my kids to grow and to be good human beings um, and, and to make good choices and you know, my staff knows that pretty well for me is like, I try to keep it pretty simple, you know, like be a good person, make good choices. And I think that translates to being a dad and being a coach, you know, trying to get that message into my athletes, but also getting that message into my kids. Um, So I don't know if I did it just to make it easier for myself, or just became really natural to have that mentality towards both, um, you know, both identities, being a coach and a dad. 
That's that's awesome. And that's what that's, you know, was going to be one of my questions for you as far as finding these parallels that exist between coaching and parenting. Um, and like you just said, you just named a lot of them, which, which was awesome. Um, uh, what were, what are maybe some other parallels that you have found between these two worlds? Uh, may, maybe it's in terms of how you communicate, right. And in, in order to kind of get your message across, um, you know, you brought up the growth mindset piece, but, uh, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Um, what, what have you found to be, you know, some parallels between when you're working with athletes and then maybe, you go through an experience with a team or with a coach, and then you kind of can relate that back to an experience on the home front. Um, yeah, I mean, it, as you mentioned, like it happens all the time where, you know, you have, a, you have an athlete that is maybe struggling to listen very well, you know, or, or at least buy into your message, right? Yeah. And then you go home and you have a, a five-year-old that's really struggling to buy into your message. And obviously you have to talk to them very differently. I think that's the, I think that's the adjustment between a dad and, and coach, right? Especially on your age group. Um, you know, hopefully as my kids get older, I'm talking to them much more like I'm talking to my, to my 18 to 22 year old athletes. But, um, but at, at the end of the day, you're still trying to convince someone that doesn't necessarily believe in your message to believe in it. Um, and obviously your approach has to be different um, because of the, I guess, mental capacity inner control that you have over that individual, right? You know, yeah. um, you know, I have a lot, lot more control over my kids, I would say, than my athletes, and, you know, especially being a strength coach um, compared to a sport coach where, you know, an athlete really cares about playing time and I don't have control over that. So I don't have that, I guess, ultimate trump card with them. Um, so I think that's, those are some of the, you know, a big parallel is like, it's, it's all, a lot of similar problems. It's just the way you communicate it yeah. um, and or the control that you have over it. Um, and then also a lot of similar successes too, you know, you know, when, yeah. when my five-year-old, you know, does something for the first time um, and gets super excited about it, like to really celebrate those moments and, you know, let them know how proud of proud of him I am but same thing with your athletes too you know first time you know especially talking female athletes I work with first time they do a pull-up or something like that you know some of them really struggle with that and and to see them have some success and celebrate those moments um are, is really fun and you know obviously what I guess keeps us draw you know keep that keeps that drive in us uh, in our profession but also like I said as a dad too like you know, seeing those moments where things just click are really great. And yeah, uh, I think it's really important on both ends to celebrate those mm. um, as, as best you can. And um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of parallels, a lot of parallels. It's just, like I said, the way you communicate. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah it's definitely gonna be a little bit different there <laughs> between a five-year-old and maybe a 20-year-old. <laughs> um, I, I think an interesting thing and kind of a funny thing that something you know, from, uh, uh, you know, in the strength and conditioning profession, you know, say a squat, for example, right, we always relate it back to a baby squat, right? It's like, you know, chest up, butt down, knees forward, good angle dorsiflexion. But with, with that type of mindset, did you have moments whenever your five-year-old, your three-year-old, you know, you now have the, the twins that are about almost one, just a little they, over? Yeah, they're one. Yeah, they, they were one in October. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. You know, did you have moments there where you found yourself kind of almost like assessing your children's movement, right? Or you, you would watch them and be like, oh, wow, they're doing that right now. That's pretty cool. Or like, oh man, like, I, I know I had a friend that I think his daughter was maybe two and a half or three and she started running and he was like, God, her technique's terrible. And I'm like, dude, she's two and a half, right? So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of funny. So dive into some of those moments in uh, uh, times with your children. Yeah, um, the squat piece is like so evident, right? You're, it's, you, it just comes to your mind, like, where do we, at what point do we lose that ability? Yeah. Because my three-year-old can sit there in a squat for, I don't know, two hours right like yeah. deep squad just sitting there playing and it's just no big deal and it's like yeah. well, why can't I do that anymore <laughs> um and uh so it's it's helpful because it's like how do I keep that going for him you know or them all of them right um but yeah I think you're always constantly you know assessing um their physical development my 
one of our girls, you know, she's, she was later to walking um, than the rest of our kids. And it's like, all right, what's going on with this one? And she had this kind of like little janky crawl that we called it where like one leg was in front. And so she didn't get into like a normal crawling pattern. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we're fortunate that she's kind of worked her way out of it already, but um, you know, we're like, all right, we're going to have to get her in PT and, and kind of help this move along. Um, but then it's like, all right, with the, you know, her leg crawling with her leg in front, what's that doing to her hip? Like, is it creating, you know, is it weak or is it, you know, creating too much, um, instability in her hip? You know, with the way your kids are moving, but then, you know, as you go to train your athletes, you're like, come on, like my kid could do this crawling or bear crawl, right? Why can't you do a bear crawl? Like this yep. is really, um, or, you know, some of these just basic, you know, especially as a profession, you know, trends towards some more primal movements, right? And instead of just, you know, based on some, you know, the big three, you know, squat, you know, bench deadlift or, yeah. you know, power clean if you're into that. But like, as, as we start thinking about, holistic movement patterns which probably wasn't a thing 20 years ago when i got into it yeah um you know i think is it's really interesting as you i guess compare and contrast your kids to your 18 to 22 year old athletes yeah. and i had a coach at northwestern that like she had a child and um she would yeah she would almost to the extreme like come on like my my daughter could do this could do you know 10 pull-ups i'm like yeah she weighs like 40 pounds and yeah, exactly <laughs> definitely, you know, like there's a lot of different things going on and super impressed that she could do that but still um you know as we grow we lose so much of the stuff that we had as a child and so being a parent um and seeing where um a lot of these athletes are now it's hot in my mind it's like how do i keep those attributes that they've developed so far yeah um you know good squat technique or you know crawling patterns and you know i think as you look into sometimes you know we know too much you you know look into long-term athletic development mm. you know i always get kind of uh i get upset with people that really try to coach my kids yeah <laughs> i think it's like yeah. i'm like he's five and you're trying to you know teach him to swing you know like a major leaguer i'm like just let him swing as hard as he can he's you know like yeah just let him figure it out <laughs> like i i and, and I, I would say like even as a coach um sometimes i think we over coach and uh certainly as a parent i think we over parent sometimes too yeah. um but you know yeah just let people figure things out for themselves and and um, I think it's going to stick a little bit longer. Uh, obviously, sometimes you need to step in a bit more, but, um, you know, when I was reading up on some long-term athletic development, you know, we have these windows where you can really develop speed and, and power. I'm like, I don't want my kids to miss those windows. <laughs> like, yeah. they're going to be slow like me, and it's going to be awful. You know, yeah. I want them to be the fast kids. So when we play and stuff, I'm like, I just encourage them to go faster as they can, as hard as they can. That's awesome. So they don't miss those windows, but yeah, and they make a fool themselves and they fall and they're just all over the place. But yeah, they have plenty of time to develop skill. Yeah, that, that's that's really smart. First of all, and I think it's an interesting point when you bring up again another parallel between the two worlds of coaching and over parenting. Um, you know, and I'm sure you had moments when you were, you know, maybe just had two kids or maybe even just your first kid where you caught yourself over parenting. Um, you know, what, 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 one, what did that look like? Um, and you know, what, how did you have that realization of like, Hey, maybe you should just let them figure it out a little bit. Right. And then also when you take that in back into your weight room, right. Have you found yourself as you've, you know, gone through the last, five years of having kids of you doing that more and more in, in the actual weight room with your with your athletes uh definitely yeah i think so our our you know the oldest you know you have two parents and one child so they get a lot of parenting right yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. um so you know even little things um you know with toys and stuff you give them some toys and with our oldest we'd kind of show them how it worked and you know kind of direct them through it um, 
and then you have another child and you maybe not have as much time to to show him all the details of a toy um and then you have a couple more and you have less time to show them but what i you know watching my my boys um so luca the oldest and then angelo the way they play and their ability to to play by themselves is very different. Like Luca always needs somebody with him mm-hmm. where Angelo can pick up a toy and play with it the way it may be intended, but also find like 10 different ways to play with it. Yeah. He's just, he just seems much more creative, right? Mm-hmm. And willing to play on his own. And that's kind of where I got into that mindset. Like maybe I'm, we were over parenting and like just let him figure some things out. And so, um, yeah, I think, taking that into the weight room is very similar, you know, where you're, I would do it. I mean, especially the young coach, but even, you know, I have my moments where you give it, you give an athlete like six cues. And it's like, there's no way they figured all that out. You know, like I'm just confusing them. Right. I'm over coaching, right. Over, you know? And so um, having that kind of understanding or seeing that so evident, um, on the home front daily with, with my two boys, um, is a good reminder when I go into the, into the weight room that, you know, really try to keep it simple. Um, and cause anytime you're learning something new and it's new for a lot of, you know, our athletes, um, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. And so, you know, I try to give them, you know, one good, one good demo because that's, that's all I got in me. Um, yeah. and then, and then, and then, you know, try to coach them through some small things, but really, really not trying to micromanage their, their movement too much. Yeah. hundred percent. That's awesome. I, I love that. Um, I, I want to start to wrap it up. I think we're a little over an hour right now. I don't want to take too much of your time since you do have four kids. So <laughs> I, um, you know, kind of uh, looking back at, at younger coach Jason, uh, at Northwestern, um, you know, maybe once you had your first kid or right before when you and your wife were talking about having a family, if you could look back and, and give that person some advice, um, what are, what are some big lessons that you would, uh, throw back to, to that younger coach in order to make life a little easier? Um, gosh, that's life easier. Obviously, um, maybe not easier, but more awareness yeah. around how yeah. hard it may be. <laughs> uh, so one, just really understand how challenging it is on your wife you know both physically emotionally um all those pieces that you know being pregnant entail um you know when my wife was pregnant with her oldest the blackhawks were in the playoffs i think stanley cup and uh you know we would sit on the couch and she never she never made it through a game she just fell asleep for every game (laughs) um and so just understanding like how challenging it is for your wife and supporting her. Um, and so that was, that was something um, I, I think I tried to do well, but it would definitely be um, looking back, I would say, do as much as you can to support your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, um, you know, during pregnancy, but those first few months, like, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the father's role but that baby just really wants its mom, you know? And, and, and so it's frustrating at times. It's really hard because you want to help, but sometimes the best way to help is just, just to do your best to take care of your wife um, because she's the one that's going to have to do a lot of the work and, you know, depending, you know, what you do for feeding, she's the one that's going to be up, you know, feeding the baby in the middle of the night. So if there's anything you can do to help her rest the rest of the day or when she's not taking care of a baby, um, that would be my, you know, biggest piece of advice is just do as much as you can. Um, so she could do as best she can for the baby. And obviously really, really just cherish those moments. You know, you don't get those, those quiet moments with your baby too, for too long. So really just enjoy those. And I think most people will tell you that, you know, um, I'd say as strong as we are, or maybe like, there's nothing like a eight pound baby laying on your chest to, to hold you down. Right. You know, like you you don't want to get up from that. So, um, so really cherish those moments. Um, but like I said, I think the, as fathers, um, 
you know, especially early on, it's our roles are very different. And and and, and for me, like I've certainly enjoyed the, I guess, progression. You know, um, you know, my boys and I are. It's almost it's it's kind of switched where they just wanted their mom for the first couple of years. And now it's just like, dad, let's go, dad, dad, you, you <laughs> go, dad. It's like, which is great. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, it's exhausting, but um, really kind of understanding that it, it will change and that, um, you know, as, as sometimes as useless as you feel in the beginning, your role is really important and, um, and it's going to evolve and it's going to become really important for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And then, and then one piece, uh, kind of looking at your current situation now and moving forward, what do you think is one of the more, um, important things that you see yourself doing, um, in order to make this sustainable, you know, as you director, you know, Purdue university, big program and, and being able to carry that out for, you know, many years into the future. Yeah. I think, uh, a couple of things like we've discussed. So, um, the, the integration, right um and like i said before before you know this current time with covid you know my boys were at work with me a decent amount you know whenever we could um and they loved being there i think other people loved having them around um and it was a good break for my wife right and so so integrating whenever you can and it doesn't necessarily mean having your kids at work but you know having them understand um what it is and 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 excited about being a part of it and excited for you to go to work. You know, I think my, my, my boys are like, dad, you know, you got a game today. Can we watch it? You know, they're, they're excited about what I do. And I think that's really cool. That's awesome. They're very integrated into it. Um, and kind of what else we, you know, we were talking about before is um, the ability to say no, you know, um, especially at work, but, you know, also at home too. Like um, sometimes you have to say, no, I, I do have to go to work. And, and your kids have to understand the value of, of that too, right? And, um, and to know that what you do is important and what you do um, helps support your family. And um, so as hard as it is sometimes where you know, your kid says, dad, can you, you know, can you stay home? And, and you want to, right? You really do. But um, I think it's good for them to hear, no, I, I have to go to work and, and what I do is to help take care of you guys and support you guys. And um, I think that's really valuable for them to understand that. And like I said, and at work, you know, sometimes it can get unreasonable where coaches changing things on you or, you know, athletes are maybe asking for, you know, hey, can you stay an extra half hour so I could do this, you know, an extra workout or something like that. And obviously we want to make it work for them. But if, if you have plans and, and you need to get home, then you have to say no. It's like, no, it, it wasn't in my schedule today and I have to get back to my family. So um, so the ability to say no is, is, is important. Awesome. Well, I will let you go. Cause like you said, you have four kids and I don't want to keep you for too long. I, I really appreciate the time. I, th I think this is a great conversation and um, you know, some great points for some younger coaches that are just now having some kids or, or preparing to have their first kids um, or just want to know how to make this a sustainable profession and, and yeah. a sustainable career choice. So I really appreciate the time today. Yeah. I, I'm so grateful for having this opportunity. I think what you're doing is really cool. Cause yeah, most people, don't um you know like you said we talk a lot of x's and o's on podcasts but there's a lot more to it and this is um something that's really important um and like i said make it sustainable for for us to do it all and and it's great when you can it really is awesome well i'm gonna end the recording go ahead and stay on the line real quick but thank you again